Just a little over four months after the New York City Mayor's Office celebrated Immigrant Heritage Week, the leader of the Big Apple seems to have changed his tune on foreigners coming to his city. Support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we're in Ecuador. Now we're getting Russia speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a 12 billion dollar deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. Ann Coulter, is that you? President Trump? No, that's not President Trump. That guy is way more anti-immigration than President Trump. Liberal Democrat Mayor Eric Adams says the current levels of immigration stand to destroy New York City. And he's right. The greatest predictor of opposition to mass migration, contrary to what the liberal media will tell you, is not race, it's not class, it's not even political party. The greatest predictor of opposition to mass migration is proximity to the consequences of mass migration, which is always and inevitably harmful to political communities, as statesmen and political philosophers have observed for millennia. The proof, Adams himself, who just a few months ago was still towing the liberal line on sanctuary cities, all are welcome here, diversity is our strength. But now he's discovered that those ridiculous slogans are connected to real events. And those real events are really occurring and they're harming everyone involved. So now, finally, he's motivated to consider maybe trying to do something to stop it. That's thanks to Republican governors like Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, who started sending those busloads of illegal aliens up to the blue cities and who, we can only hope, will keep the buses coming. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. With a barely reanimated corpse in the White House, CBS is finally asking the awkward question to Kamala Harris. Are you ready to be president? We'll get into what that means in just a moment. First, though, speaking of the breakdown of political order, not just in New York, but all around the country, Mike Huckabee just got into hot water. Oh, boy, all the left-wing opposition groups, they were sending this clip around. This was on Governor Huckabee's excellent show, Huckabee, on which he said that if the legal shenanigans that the liberals are trying right now to keep Trump off the ballot, if they stop Trump 
from winning the election, then this will be the last election decided by ballots rather than bullets. Do you know how political opponents to those in power are dealt with in third world dictatorships, banana republics, and communist regimes? Well, it's simple. The people in power use their police agencies to arrest their opponents for made-up crimes in an attempt to discredit them, bankrupt them, imprison them, exile them, are all of the above. And if you're not paying attention, you may not realize that Joe Biden is using exactly those tactics to make sure that Donald Trump is not his opponent in 2024. Here's the problem. If these tactics end up working to keep Trump from winning or even running in 2024, it is going to be the last American election that will be decided by ballots rather than bullets. There it is. He's threatening. He's another insurrectionist. We got to throw Mike Huckabee in prison for 20 years. Mike Huckabee said nothing wrong. Every single thing Mike Huckabee just said is right. Regardless of even what happens in the election and how you interpret it. If the legal mechanisms that the liberals are trying to use, which are really illegal mechanisms, if they succeed at taking Trump off the ballot in certain places, then the likelihood of civil war is much higher. The last time that we had a president elected not being on the ballot in a number of states was immediately before the civil war. That's just an historical fact. He's not saying if Trump loses the election fair and square, then the next election is going to be decided by bullets rather than ballots. He's saying if these unfair, often illegal uh, operations that the liberals are trying, if those succeed, then you're going to have a breakdown of the electoral order. That's obviously true. It's, it's even true if the, the liberals exert this kind of power and keep the conservative from having a fair shake at being elected. Even then, even if the conservatives do nothing, and they sit at home on their hands, it will nevertheless remain true that the future elections will be decided by bullets rather than ballots because the, the bullets will be in the guns pointed by the state at the people who want to challenge the regime. If there is no longer to be any real political opposition permitted in the United States, if every time an actual opposition leader tries to run, he gets shut down because the, the liberals won't even let him be placed on the ballot, then that means that our elections are decided by bullets rather than ballots because they're they're decided by the implicit coercive force of the state, of the regime. As is often the case with Mike Huckabee, what he's saying is obviously, obviously true. And the liberals are pursuing that strategy. Do not confuse yourself. Don't think it's hyperbole or that we're all paranoid with tinfoil hats. The liberals are explicitly trying to keep Trump off the ballot. There's a group, I teased this a couple days ago, a group in Colorado trying to say that the 14th Amendment is sufficient to remove Trump from the 2024 ballot. This is Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics based in Washington, D.C. Group filed a lawsuit on Wednesday on behalf of several Colorado voters to keep Trump off the ballot because, here's why, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that public officials are not eligible to hold office if they, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. Now, Trump, for all of the ridiculous charges that have been thrown at him in New York, in D.C., in Georgia, in Florida, none of those charges is for insurrection. Obviously not. It's absurd. Even if that were the case, I don't see any evidence 
that that fact alone would preclude a man from running for president. The mere suggestion that he were an insurrectionist. I mean, if that if that were sufficient, then they could do it to, to stop Donald Trump right now. But what this really represents is a criminalization of politics. I've pointed out that when the liberals accuse conservatives of being authoritarian, it's, it's an absurd claim. Conservatives meekly suggest that maybe we return to the social mores of 2015 and we're told that we're knuckle-dragging, authoritarian, we're basically the Taliban or something. But let's say that the authoritarian accusation were fair, which it is not. If it were fair, it would still be preferable to what the liberals are offering, which is totalitarianism. Authoritarianism is when the government says, hey, you can't do weird stuff in the street. You've got you've to stop letting your freak flag fly on Main Street. But what you do in your private life is not any of our concern. What the totalitarians say is even your private life needs to be dictated by us. It's a big difference. Authoritarian regimes will often allow a lot of space in the culture, in local communities, for people to basically do whatever they want. It just can't infringe on national cohesion and unity. Totalitarian regimes encourage kids to rat on their parents, like is happening now. Totalitarian regimes insist on the party orthodoxy in the education system and in the media and in the press and in the civic associations and in I don't know the local bowling league in every in every facet of society the propaganda and the party line has to permeate and if you question it in any way you'll be ostracized you'll be kicked out of the public square which today is called deplatforming on social media you'll be threatened with legal action you'll be thrown in the can for protesting there you have it we we've seen this time and time again that is a totalitarian system. And what it, what it comes down to is in the name of liberalism, they say that we can't have any alternatives to liberalism. Even when the people want an alternative to a liberal agenda that isn't working very well. So then you see the pitting of liberalism against democracy, which, which the liberals then attack. They attack democracy, but they don't call it democracy. They wear the mantle of democracy. They say, we're defending our sacred democracy. We're just attacking the populists. Well, what's a populist? A populist is someone who has the people on his side. Well, what does it mean when you've got the majority of the people on your side? It means you're standing up for the democracy. Democracy is nothing more than majority rule. Intrinsically opposed, and we see this more clearly and clearly every single day, to liberalism. It, it tr- th- we hear all sorts of attacks on our sacred democracy. Like on January 6th, the worst moment in this or any republic ever. You want to talk about an attack on democracy. What they are doing, what the liberals are doing in Colorado, the, the test run that they've got to try to wield the law unjustly to prevent a man who they say is unelectable from being put on the ballot because they know that he's eminently electable because they know that the people largely support him. That's the biggest attack on our democracy that we've seen in a very long time. And we got to talk about it with each other. And when you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Is your cell phone in desperate need of replacement? You know the signs. Short battery life, so you have to have a charger on hand. Cracked screen that gives you glass splinters. It's time to put that old phone to rest and upgrade to a 5G brand new Samsung Galaxy from Pure Talk for free. Get a free 5G Samsung Galaxy with two-day battery life, edge-to-edge display, and ultra-strong Gorilla Glass when you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, text, and 15-gig data plan 
for just 35 bucks a month. Plus, it comes with a mobile hotspot. If you are not using PureTalk, you are simply paying too much. Get all the data you could ever need for half the price of the big carriers on America's most dependable 5G network. Right now, head on over to puretalk.com slash Knowles for your free super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to PureTalk. Use the cell service that I love and trust and use myself. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S. Make the switch to PureTalk, the official wireless partner of The Daily Wire. So what do we do about it? What are we going to do about all these problems? Conservatives in elected office and in the media and everywhere in between are, are pretty good at diagnosing problems, but then they shrug their shoulders. They throw up their hands. They don't have any solutions. I think I've got a little bit of a solution. Here it comes by way of my own senator from the state of Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, who is uh, warning about the prospect of a government shutdown. And government shutdowns happen regularly these days, but usually the script is that the Republicans are are eager or willing to shut down the government and the Democrats don't want to shut down the government. What makes this occasion different is that the roles are reversed. The Democrats would like to have that government shut down because it would halt these investigations that the House is working on. And Chairman Comer, Chairman Smith, Chairman Jordan are continuing to push forward to get this information and to find out exactly what the relationship is between Joe Biden and Biden Incorporated. And archives, you were just talking about archives, not wanting to turn over all of these emails with the pseudonyms that Joe Biden was using as he was vice president. And they want to get those so that they have a record, so they have that paper trail of what the involvement was. And of course, we know that they're continuing to get bank records. And the American people, certainly Tennesseans, Jason, every time I talk with them, they want to know what happened, who was involved, and for people that did things wrong, they want them to be punished. I certainly feel that way. I think a lot of other people feel that way, too. I think one of the big frustrations with our current system is that the bad guys, especially when they're liberals, just get away scot-free, and there are never any consequences for the Clintons, for corruption under Obama, and certainly for the Bidens. So that means that we got to keep the government open. Why do we have to keep the government open? Because in this case, a government shutdown would shut down the investigations into Biden heading into an election year, and we've got a lot of smoke when it comes to to Joe Biden and corruption and selling American influence overseas. And so we should keep those going. I, as much as anybody, am sick and tired of Republicans just chattering and holding committee hearings and not doing anything about it. But it is a simple fact. The only way today that you get anything even resembling transformational change is through the presidency and the judges. You don't get it by electing members of Congress, usually. You don't get it by electing senators, usually. You can get it in the state houses, but that's just one state out of 50 states. So the way that you get real change, real laws are not passed by Congress anymore. They're passed through the executive branch, and they're passed as under the guise of constitutional or statutory interpretation by the judges. And the way that you get judges is by electing a president. The way that you get the appointed bureaucrats is by electing a president. And the way you elect a president is by electing a president. In this case, how are we going to 
elect our president and kick out their president. The only shot that we've got at it, I'm not saying it's sufficient, maybe the Democrats have so much power that it doesn't matter and they can just rig the election like they did last time and they won't be kicked out of office. But the only shot that we're going to have at that is to bring as much pressure as possible to bear on Joe Biden and the Democrats. And the only way to do that right now, there are a few ways to do it in private industry, uh, like shutting down the liberal activist groups that that censor the conservatives in the public square, like buying a social media platform as Elon Musk did and opening it up to conservative speech. So that's happening in the relatively private sphere, and we'll get to that in one second. But for ordinary citizens, the only way that we can do that to bring that maximum pressure on Joe Biden right now is to keep the investigations going. And so as a matter of prudence and practice, we got to fund the government. I, this is the first time in any of these crises that I've said that the wise thing to do is to go ahead and fund the government. But it is much more important to try to take down Biden and try to get our own presidential nominee into office than it is to quibble over a few gazillion dollars when we already have a debt to GDP ratio over 100%. We've got to have more transformational change than just nibbling around the edges of the budget. We need to throw a wrench in the system. Now, speaking of throwing a wrench in the system, Elon Musk is threatening to sue the Anti-Defamation League for defamation. I love this story so much. Been meaning to get to it for a few days now. It's just, it's just been simmering and it gets better and better and better. The Anti-Defamation League is a group ostensibly founded to stop anti-Semitism, to stop hatred against the Jewish people and smears against the Jewish people. Uh, That's not really what it does. I mean, I guess that's part of what it does, but the Anti-Defamation League will happily attack fellow Jews if those Jews happen to be conservative or happen to question the liberal narrative. So the Anti-Defamation League will happily attack libs of TikTok, an Orthodox Jewish woman, because she doesn't toe the party line. And the Anti-Defamation League will talk about things that have nothing to do with the Jews whatsoever, just plain, regular old left-wing nonsense. And the way that they do it is by bandying around this accusation of anti-Semitism, just a specific version of the race card, which is the biggest card you can play in America. It's the worst thing you can possibly be called. And they say, hey, if you oppose Hillary Clinton, you're an anti-Semite. Hey, if you don't like Joe Biden, you're an anti-Semite. Hey, if you don't allow us to censor your your platform, we're going to call you an anti-Semite. In fact, the, the Anti-Defamation League has sent out threats. This is documented. We have letters, threats to, I think this, there was one that they sent to Iceland, uh, but they, they've done this a number of times where they will say, hey, I bet you sure wouldn't like it if we called you a Nazi, whether or not the accusation is fair. So you better toe the line. They'll, they'll threaten to lie about people. So there, it was a really awful organization. And Elon Musk came out, he himself having been defamed by the ADL, and said, to clear our platform's name on the matter of anti-Semitism, it looks like we have no choice but to file a defamation lawsuit against the Anti-Defamation League. Oh, the irony. Love it. So absolutely go after the ADL. You should go after some of the other groups too, though. It's not just the ADL. It's groups like Right Wing Watch, which is a a project of People for the American Way, which is one of the most ironically named groups in America because it is a handful of elites for a very un-American way. There are several others out there where these groups exist. They're watching the show right now, and they try to clip out little pieces of the show and get us all fired, and they try to censor people on, on social media. My only request, 
as we take down all of these left-wing censor groups and we actually wield political power because there's no such thing as a neutral public square. There's no such thing as a neutral political order. We're going to have to stand for something or other. We're going to have to push certain people out to the fringes. And I absolutely think we've got to push these liberal censors out to the fringes. My one request to Elon, though, is as we take them all down, please don't take down my publicists at Media Matters. I have had a very good working relationship with Media Matters for many years now. They watch my show every day. They're watching it now. They clip out some of the best parts of my show, and then I get to retweet them, and they get a lot more eyeballs on my work. So please, take down the ADL, take down Right Wing Watch, do whatever you want. But please, I, I have no interest in finding a new set of publicists. Now, I also have no interest in going out and replacing my propane tank, which is why it's such a great thing that we've got Cinch. Right now, head on over to cinch.com, use code Knowles. Have you ever craved a nice, juicy barbecue meal with the family? So you go to the store, get all the groceries, you invite the family over. It's going to be a fun time, right? But then you go to turn on the grill and your propane tank is completely empty. Well, that's where Cinch comes in to save the day. Cinch is a propane grill tank home delivery service. They deliver propane grill tanks right to your door. Cinch delivers on your schedule and requires no long-term commitment or subscription. Plus, delivery is completely contactless. You don't have to wait around at home. You track the order on the Cinch app from anywhere, whether you're grilling steaks or lighting up the patio heaters on a cold night. Cinch's propane delivery service ensures that you have the fuel you need to make the most of every moment. Go online to cinch.com or download the Cinch app to order New customers can get their first tank exchange for just $10 with promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That's cinch.com or download the Cinch app. Use promo code Knowles to get your first tank exchange for just 10 bucks. It's a limited time offer. You must live within a Cinch service area to redeem it. Go to cinch.com slash offer for details. Old ways, more traditional practices, regular old religion, often scoffed at and demonized by the libs. But not all the old ways. Some old, very irreligious things like mystical practices of healing are opening doors for spirits and demons. You don't even have to ask me. This is what even what the libs are often talking about. So is it all fake? Is it just BS? Are they deluded? Or is it something more? My guest, Jen Nizza, the Italian way would be Nizza, but Jen explains exactly what happens if you open that door and receive messages from beyond the veil? Check out this teaser of Michael and the former psychic. When I was a real psychic medium, I really wanted to help people. I was told I had a gift from God. And that draws you in, right? It must have scared you when you discovered this ability. I wasn't scared until I started seeing scary things and hearing scary things and getting touched by demons. This episode, Michael and the Psychic, It Was Fine Until the Demon Touched Me, is on YouTube right now. So be sure to head on over there, watch that, and you can check out the ad-free, unedited version exclusively on Twitter at M. Knowles Show and, of course, at Daily Wire Plus. My favorite comment yesterday is from C.O. Catholic Gal. Oh, there we go. Colorado Catholic Gal, who says, you know the episode is spicy when it's only 30 minutes long. That's true. When the show opens up with the question, is Barack Obama a gay crackhead? You know that in order to accommodate our friends over at YouTube who want to censor out anything even moderately interesting, 
or controversial, uh, you know that we're going to have to trim that down. And the way to get the full show, totally unedited, no bleeping, no censors, no cuts, is going to be RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Twitter, M. Knowles Show, and of course, Daily Wire Plus. So Elon opens himself up by threatening to sue the Anti-Defamation League. Guess how the ADL responds? You know how the ADL is going to respond and the head of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt, they're going to say that any attempt to stop them from censoring the American public square is, drum roll, anti-Semitism. Were you seeking to have some kind of either role at Twitter or any kind of uh, donations made or other things? No. I only say that because there have been folks who've looked at these situations and felt that they were being sh- you know, shaken down. Look, I think, l- l- let me be honest about that, right? I think it is sort of anti-Semitic trope to suggest when Jewish people express uh, a degree of outrage over anti-Semitism, that somehow that's a shakedown because Jews are greedy. So the answer to the question is obviously yes. Obviously, Greenblatt and the ADL were seeking a role in censoring Twitter. The way that we know that, Elon Musk showed this, is that ADL started its boycott of Twitter. ADL is largely responsible for the drop in Twitter revenue after Elon Musk took over. And we know that the ADL launched its anti-Twitter campaign the moment that Elon took over. So the moment Elon takes over, nothing changes in the service of Twitter. Over time, he's implemented some changes, but nothing changes the moment that he takes over. But the ADL starts the the shakedown. The ADL starts the harassment campaign in order to do what? To, To just have fun on a Saturday afternoon? No, in order to get a seat at the table and have a role in shaping the content of Twitter. And he says he's doing it in the name of, of stopping anti-Semitism or whatever. But that's obviously not, it, it, I want to be as charitable as possible. Maybe that's a, a part of the ADL's mission. I'm somewhat skeptical, but certainly the, the, the mission is not merely that. How could you argue that trying to shut up one of the most prominent Orthodox Jewish women in the entire country is, is a, a good way to stop anti-Semitism? It would seem to be maybe an example of anti-Semitism a self-hating sort of anti-Semitic, anti-anti-Semitic campaign. I'm, I'm getting lost in the inception of it all. Yeah, that's what it is. And so what does he do? When he gets caught, his eyes open wide. He's like, oh, no, I didn't. You're an anti-Semite for even asking that. And, and this is, of course, the case. Accusations of racism are always so cheap. They're so cheap, including the specific case of accusations of anti-Semitism. But, but, Anything, anti-black, anti-Hispanic, anti-this, anti-that. Other than anti-white, you're not allowed to even suggest that prospect in our culture. The only group that you're legally and culturally permitted and encouraged to discriminate against and insult, you're not even allowed to bring up the prospect of that. But for any other group, it comes out and it's always so cheap. I remember uh, David Webb. I've brought this example up before. David Webb is black conservative. He was on the radio. He was interviewing a black woman who's a liberal. And when he was winning the debate, she just said, well, that's your white privilege showing, David. Because it was radio and she didn't know what he looked like. <laughs> he just started laughing. He said, uh, you know, that's not gonna work on me, lady. So what do we do in the face of this, in these cheap accusations of, of racism that are totally disingenuous, they're in bad faith, what is our response to that? Is our response to care and to beg and to say, no, please don't, I'm not a racist. Some of my best friends are black Muslim pygmies or whatever, you know, whatever kind of group is considered the most oppressed. 
No, I don't think so. You're not going to convince them they don't care. The argument is not in good faith. Then is the is the alternative to just be really mean and cruel and discriminatory against all sorts of different groups to become what they accuse us of? No, I don't think that's the answer either. The answer is, first, stop caring when they call you a racist or an anti-Semite or an anti-thisist or a phobic or whatever. Just stop caring. It's not real. They don't mean it. They're, they just don't like you and they want to shut you up. So stop caring, first of all. But then the, the, there is a flip side to that too, which is make sure that you orient yourself toward justice and charity. Those are going to be a lot better guides than anti-racism or being an ally against the phobia or a thisism or that. Just orient yourself toward justice and charity and pursue the virtues and avoid the vices and avail yourself of God's grace and in, in all things, act with justice and charity and then ignore the noise. Who cares about that stuff? Speaking of ignoring the noise, my man Mitch... Cocaine Mitch McConnell himself has been asked to step down as Senate Majority Leader or Senate Republican Leader, and he says no. What do you say to those who are calling on you to step down? Do you have any plans to retire anytime soon? <laughs> I have no announcements to make on that subject. But what do you say to those who are? I'm going to finish my term as leader, and I'm going to finish my Senate term. Thank you. I'm with Mitch, man. That guy wields power great. I don't care how old he is. I don't see a, a better alternative right now. If you told me there was some great prospective Republican leader in the Senate waiting in the wings who's going to be right wing and conservative, okay, great. But I don't really see that. So as of now, I'm sticking with my man, Mr. Cocaine. Speaking of finding alternatives, there's a video that was going viral. This was Emily Ratajkowski, who truly I could not pick her out of a lineup. I just saw this lady going, I thought she was a random lady. Just like random private citizens go viral these days. Turns out she's Emily Ratajkowski, who's a big model or something. And she was encouraging women to get divorced. So it seems that a lot of ladies are getting divorced before they turn 30. And as someone who got married at 26, has been separated for a little over a year, 32, I have to tell you, I don't think there's anything better. If being in your 20s is the trenches, there is nothing better than being in your 30s, still being hot, maybe having a little bit of your own money, figuring out what you want to do with your life, everything, and having tried that married fantasy and realizing that it's maybe not all it's cracked up to be, and then you've got your whole life still ahead of you. Um, So for all of those people who are stressed or feeling stressed, about that, about being divorced, like it's a, it's, it's good. Congratulations. 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 The lady doth protest a little too much, methinks. Really terrible advice. Divorce is always just awful in all circumstances. It's terrible. And it's a fallen world and it happens sometimes. And the culture used to greatly discourage it. Now the culture encourages it. The law encourages it through things like no-fault divorce and through the abolition of the meaning of marriage by, by redefinition and judicial fiat, thanks to the romantic poet, Justice Anthony Kennedy. Uh, so everything is, and the whole culture of hyper-individualism uh, is, is aimed at destroying the family, which is destroying the country, and it's making everybody miserable. You, I, you know I don't cite social scientific statistics because I think they're bogus, but when they support my views, I, I'm happy to cite them. 
People have gotten much more miserable. You see this in self-reported rates of happiness. You see this especially in the reports of rates of happiness for women. You see this in the prescriptions of depression pills, which have skyrocketed for everybody, but especially for women. You see this in uh, the the average life expectancy in the United States, which has declined because of deaths of despair. You see this in the major drug epidemic and the suicide epidemic for uh, white men in their middle age in particular. People are really miserable, and this has coincided exactly with the sexual revolution, at the center of which is divorce. Divorce. It's just, and so we, we try to prune around the edges of the sexual revolution with this, you know, fashionable ideology that YouTube won't let me talk about, or with the redefinition of marriage, or with the LGBTQ movement, but it really comes down to divorce. And, and it's a political problem, not just a personal problem, because it's the fundamental political unit. It's the bedrock unit of multiple people forming a cohesive body on which you build townships and counties and states and ultimately a nation. So one, it's a it's a political matter. It's public. You're speaking Two people, you take a vow in front of the public, in front of a uh, in front of a minister, in front of God, and uh, we have the right to say something about that because Emily Ratajkowski's selfishness or it just you know e- extreme fatal supply of copium is uh, not just a problem for her; it's a problem for the whole country. It threatens the very social fabric. Now, before we go, speaking of women, I, I do have to get to the story because I teased it, and it's not a long story to get to. It'll eat into mailbag a little bit, but we have to get to it. Joe Biden is very, very old. And now CBS News has asked the awkward question to his vice president, are you ready? So you're 58 now. If you win a second term, as you and the president are running to do, he would be 86 at the end of it. The Wall Street Journal had a poll showing two-thirds of Democrats say Joe Biden is too old run again. Are you prepared to be commander-in-chief? Yes, I am, if necessary. But Joe Biden is going to be fine. And let me tell you something. A little quick on the draw there, Kamala. (laughs) Not a great look. First of all, she's obviously not ready to be president, though the the government can effectively operate without a president now as it has been under under Biden. So I, I guess she's as ready as anybody in that the role of the individual in the office of president has been diminished. But not a good look for Kamala. Because in this case, you're supposed to say, listen, Joe Biden is totally ready to go. Uh, There is no fear whatsoever that he's going to drop dead or drop out of the race or anything. So it's obviously when I accepted the role of vice president, a prerequisite for that is that one is prepared to step into the role. God forbid. But I'm not. But you you see that question. Are you ready? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. What? What? Did you you just get a phone call? Did something happen? (laughs) I mean, um, no, Biden, he's really good. So People champing at the bit to take over for old Joe in the election, even the Democratic primary. But that election could get even more bonkers than it already is. Now for some of the biggest news in Daily Wire history. We are just hours away from the X event of Candace Owens' new 10-part docuseries, Convicting a Murderer. If you haven't heard, we're showcasing episode one tonight on X, formerly known as Twitter, 9 p.m. Eastern. If you haven't seen it, here's another peek at the season teaser for Convicting a Murderer. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. Part of me don't want to believe that he did this. The blood that was on that back area was indicative of a head wound. My brother likes to push a lot of people around. I don't give a f- about anything. I ain't got to listen to nobody. How were these filmmakers able to convince so many people that a man like Stephen Avery is innocent? How many times did he stab her? 
wants. And show me where. Right here. They gave him power. They're trying to get everything on me that they can. It's not good for an Avery to have power. I had told you all along, keep your fucking mouth shut. That can hurt Steven. I'm not going to lie for him no more. I can't do it. Watch Convicting a Murderer, a new 10-part series on Daily Wire+. Plus. Before the X showcase of Convicting a Murderer, Candace will be chatting with special guests, the special X event at 5 p.m., so make sure to head over to X to join the conversation. After you've watched episode one on X, you'll be hooked. That's XXX, baby. Luckily, we made episodes two and three available on Daily Wire Plus this evening, so you can enjoy those as well. Episode two is free. Episode three is available only for Daily Wire Plus members. We're like drug dealers. We give you a little taste, and then, and then we gotcha. Head on over to dailywireplus.com slash subscribe. Sign up today. Finally, finally, we've arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. The mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to Pure Talk. I'm running behind already. I'm going to fly through these mailbag questions. Hey, Michael, what advice do you have for men and women who want to get married and have a family, but it hasn't happened yet? I'm in my mid-30s. I've been on the Catholic dating apps and attended my local young adult groups, all to no avail. It's pretty disheartening when the desires of your heart are good and they are not fulfilled, especially when you are getting older and wondering where God is in your waiting season. Would love some words of encouragement for women and men experiencing this. Thanks for all you do. A wonderful question, and I'm sure a lot of people are asking. I, I have so many female friends in their 30s, who will say, I really want to get married, and it just hasn't happened. And it's not because they're feminists, and it's not because they're liberals, and it's not because not because of anything. They're just great. They're just terrific. But our culture is such that it's much harder these days to settle down, find a husband or wife. It's hard on the guys, too, and live a good life because of the insistence that everybody just pursue a career because of the insistence that you find yourself and just establish who you are before you meet somebody, which is completely bogus, by the way. It's totally the opposite. What you want to do is grow up with somebody, ideally, and and get married. I mean, just as you're saying, I want to get married as quickly as I can because, you know, when people are young, they're like putty, you know, and you get two pieces of putty and you stick them together and they fit really easily together. And then over time, you know, they'll shape and in, in accordance with each other. But if you leave the putty out and the putty just kind of hardens into its own shapes, and then you try to stick those hardened putty shapes together, it's going to be much harder. Not impossible. Plenty of people do it, but it's going to be more difficult. Those are the difficulties you're experiencing. You got to go to the places where they are, where, the, where you are likely to find the people whom you would like to marry. I know this seems simple, but people don't do it. So you say, well, I'm on, I don't like the apps or I'm on the apps, but the apps aren't working. Forget about the apps. The apps are just a, the apps are a video game. Sometimes the apps work. I know people have gotten married out of them, but it's, it's a little game. People are just swiping and chatting. It's, you know, maybe not going to be the most effective. It's going to be friends of friends. It's going to be friends of family. It's going to be people at church. If you're fortunate enough to go to a church with very young people at it. I would recommend the traditional Latin mass where the median age is eight, probably, because of all the children. But you take the children out of it, the median age is probably 25. So I think that'd be a good spot to go. Uh, Or professional networking groups, you know, but with a a political kind of a group. Work on a campaign for all, you know, join your local Republican women's club. You know, what, well, hopefully a different kind of Republican club where there are men. But I just mean go to places where people who not only share interests with you, not just like the bowling league, but who share a point of view about the world. 
ultimately religious is obviously good, but uh, even political, even cultural, even that's where you're going to want to go. And it can happen fast. I know friends for whom having taken that advice, it happens fast. Okay. Next question. Hey, Michael, when I first became a conservative, I think it's pretty safe to say that I was viewing my conservatism through capitalism. I was going to school with a bunch of Keynesian people and socialists, and I wanted to prove to them that capitalism was superior to their model. I might have even considered myself a fan of Ayn Rand. But as the years went by, and I started to think more philosophically, I started to care less and less about capitalism or about economics at all. And nowadays, I, I kind of have the opinion that capitalism is not philosophical, and so it doesn't even enter into my political philosophy. Do you think that this is a stance that conservatives should take? Do you think that conservatives should view economics as something separate from their political philosophy? Um, I appreciate your response. Thanks a lot. No, not as separate, but as uh, merely a component part and not the most important component. Your first part is totally right. I think you're still a little confused in the second part of what you've said. Uh, Yes, it's true. When we are confronted with campus socialists, the inclination is to say, well, I'm a capitalist. As though that were the alternative. Capitalism is a word that was popularized by Marx and Engels. Uh, Capitalism is... Uh, markets are good, you know, uh, economic growth is good. But if you make the source and summit of your ideology, capitalism, money, then you're you're no different than the mammon-worshipping materialists that you're supposedly fighting against. And capitalism as an ideology uh, is is not the opposite of socialism. It's just the flip side of it. But it's it, both capitalism and socialism make the same anthropological error, which is viewing man as fundamentally an economic creature. They both make the fundamental anthropological error of viewing man as fundamentally individual. The individual is the basic unit of society rather than the family is the basic unit of society. Man is individual rather than as a social and political creature. So yeah, as an ideology, it's wrong. You don't want to, you want things in their proper place. When things are in their proper place, they can be wonderful. But when you take them out of their proper place and you worship them and you make them an idol, then they, they go very badly. So no, you can't, you, you can't separate economics from your political view because economics, the, the way that we exchange goods and services and accumulate wealth, that's part of politics. It's, and it's an important part of politics, but it's not all of politics. So what I would recommend is, no, don't, don't if, you, if you separate economics, then you take that out of the realm of the political and you, you say that it's basically not even subject to debate, which is what the liberals, classical and, and modern, want you to do anyway. No, say, no, no, economics is totally subject to political debate. And we want the best economic system. So we want markets that are thriving. We want economic growth. Uh, because some material prosperity is necessary to the more important aspects of political flourishing. But there are those more important aspects. And so you, you, you need a, an economy in service of higher political goals. And those higher political goals are, are going to be higher than money. Next question. <laughs> Dear executive grassy knolls, I wanted to mention that I saw that during your membrum segmentum transition, you have a small quick scene of a light blue bowl with some rusted keys inside. And because of your 
Catholic identity. I wanted to see if you would call those your Catholic church keys. Your your <laughs> Catholic church keys. Those are church keys. Because <laughs> they're small and ornamental and not very practical. <laughs> Thanks. I have long discouraged people from puffing on the Haitian oregano before writing into the mailbag. But I am a sucker for a good pun. And that's pretty... Because it's not like that. You get it? Those aren't the real keys to the kingdom of heaven. They're just a little ornament for my show. Like a church key. Like a church key. It's a slightly labored pun. I wouldn't necessarily lead with that on your borscht belt one-liners, you know, when you're doing the comedy tour, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Next question. Hey, Dirty Mike, Mr. Reality here. I had a question for you about Trump's poll numbers. So depending on which poll you're looking at, he's got 40%, 50%, 60% um, support within the Republican Party. Uh, I think you said many times he's running essentially as an incumbent, and I would agree with that. Um, but when Joe Biden's poll numbers come in at 67%, being that he is an incumbent, we look at those as being terrible because he's supposed to be the one all the Democrats are rallied behind. Um, so we would consider anything less than 80, 90% for him uh, absolutely atrocious. Why are we not considering Trump's the same way if he's essentially running as an incumbent? Instead of looking at it as, oh, he's up 40%, 40 points on his challenger, that's great. Why are we not looking at it as he's the incumbent and he's only pulling down 50 or 60%? This is absolutely terrible numbers for him. I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on that, looking at these poll numbers for Trump as if he was an incumbent instead of just a regular person in the race. Thanks. Great question. The as if is the key here because he's not really the incumbent. And so I think the error you're falling into is just the flip side error of the error that everyone else is falling into, which is everyone's saying, well, this is an ordinary primary. And so we're going to conduct our campaigns as though this were an ordinary primary. It's not an ordinary primary. This is the first time since 1892 that a president has run for a non-consecutive second term. So he's running, I've said practically or effectively as an incumbent, but not, not, truly an incumbent, not really, not even essentially as an incumbent. So your side is, you're saying, well, he's running as an incumbent, so his numbers aren't that great for it. But he's not really running as an incumbent, for, for starters, because there are 10 people in the field. And Joe Biden is running, I guess, technically against two or three people, but none of them is really a serious challenger. The closest is Bobby Kennedy, and even he's only at 19, 20%. So Trump is running against DeSantis, very serious guy. Vivek, serious guy. Nikki Haley, serious woman. I mean, whatever you think about these people's chances, we're talking about governors, ambassadors, serious people with big political machines behind them even now. So in that field with 10 people, if you're dominating with 59% of the vote, that's pretty impressive and may, may end up being decisive. It would seem to be decisive right now. This is why you can't you can't compare Trump's position in this primary. You can't compare the Republican primary to anything. You can't compare it to an ordinary Republican primary. You also can't really com compare it to just an incumbent running for re-election. That's why I've said from the beginning, it is basically unique. It's happened one other time in American history. And so if you're trying to use the rule book for anything that we see with regularity, that's not ultimately going to serve you very well. Okay, the rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. It's Fake Headline Friday. I need your help to discern which is the fake headline among all of the 
preposterous news stories that have come out. Become a member right now. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs, so every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and donate right now.